Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, welcome to a new Winter Cults and Culture. This is the second part of our Dark Souls bosses uh, run-through, where I've ranked every single Dark Souls boss across the trilogy. So if you haven't heard already, go back and listen to part one. This is part two. And yeah, we'll be counting down all the way back to number one. Thanks. Winter Cults. Culture. And at number 23 is the Royal Aegis. So the Royal Aegis is in Dark Souls 2. And if I remember correctly, he's just before you go into like King Vendrick. So you're kind of feeling like this is next to the end boss. Um, and again, it's a one-on-one battle. He feels like I know he's, the Royal's in the name. Feldstadt, I think his name is. Um, but he, there's an element of like, you know, he feels powerful. Um, in more ways than one. He does look very regal. He's got this golden suit of armour on. And, yeah, he hits really hard. Um, I didn't have that much of a problem with him, though. Uh, I think it took me about four tries, really, Um, which, you know, isn't isn't a lot, really, for Dark Souls. Um, But I was pretty powerful um, at this point. And, yeah, but generally speaking, I found the whole match um, good fun. It was a... I thought it was a really fair battle, again... Um, I felt like I earned it from when I got to the end. Um, his moveset was good. It wasn't uh, too crazy. I think he has a spear, so you kind of got to you know, account for that and the wide range. But, um, yeah, it felt like, okay, this is like this is like the guy I've got to get through, the last hurdle, as it were, for the final boss. Um, and that doesn't, <laughs> that isn't the case, um, which is part of, you know, Dark Souls 2 endgame. But um, it was a good good fight nonetheless so yeah that's kind of why it's held up a bit higher in the list so number 22 is the guardian dragon from dark souls 2 so the guardian dragon from dark souls 2 is uh, for me because i hadn't done um the uh, dark souls 1 dragon this felt like the real first proper dragon battle for me and I really loved it. I thought it was great. By the end of it, I felt so powerful. The fact I defeated this dragon wasn't particularly difficult. Um, he was okay. There was a lot of kind of staying behind, obviously staying away from the fire that he breathes. 
when he goes up, making sure you kind of think you run underneath him um, when he moves up like that to breathe fire on the floor. But yeah, the fact you you take on a dragon, you kill him was a big deal to me. And yeah, I think that was the first one that I'd done. So for me, it was a bit of a big deal and it felt cool. And so, so that's why it's kind of so high up the list. Um, and I think it looks good as well. And it's in this kind of uh, like a makeshift wooden area, not very great for fire, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it just feels epic. It, it felt like, well, I'm like, you know, this is a proper massive battle. Um, and that's what's really good about, you know, Dark Souls stuff. Um, so at number 21 is the Iron Golem from Dark Souls 1. This is the guy that you fight and you have to defeat at the top of Sen's Fortress before you get taken to Analondo. So he's kind of like the final test, really, um, to prove your worth, to get to like the land of the gods, essentially. And yeah, it was, um, I really enjoyed the whole Sen's Fortress thing. I enjoyed making my way up to the top, all the obstacles that it was, uh, that, you know, took to get there. The giants rolling stuff down into the thing and you realise that's where they're coming from, these big balls. Um and then you've got like a little tower next to it where um, there's a giant on the top as well. All this stuff, the whole that whole like run, that whole level, as it were, was so cool. Um, really enjoyed it. I really felt like you know you've gone from the you've literally gone from the bottom and you worked your way really hard slog to the top. And then this is the guy you meet, and he's yeah worthy adversary to kind of finish this gauntlet on. And is exactly what you he kind of does on the tin. Big iron golem guy. He hits hard. Um, you can cheese him by getting him to fall off the ledge. I didn't do that for him. Fair and square. And yeah, he's just um, a big giant basically. Um, it took me about six goes, maybe seven goes, um, to to kill him. And I was doing all this solo as well. I should say um, I didn't summon anyone that wasn't an NPC anyway for Dark Souls. Um, but that's if I could find a summon sign for an NPC anyway. And yeah, so, and it felt like, again, epic. This is the first kind of thing I'd seen with something like this, especially since like Shadow of the Colossus and stuff, where it's like, they're not on that scale, but it kind of had that same grandeur to it. And to look up at this like massive thing, I think, oh my God, right, I have to like take this thing on and to kill him, basically. And then that whole sequence, if you get lifted up by these gargoyles and you get taken to Anolondo, just that whole bit, I was just like, whoa, like, where am I? What the hell just happened? That was cool. So yeah, that's why it's so high up the list and well-deserved. And number 21, the Iron Golem. Iron Golem, even. So at number 20 is Seath the Scaleless, Scaleless from Dark Souls. Uh, one of the big players in Dark Souls lore, He's the dragon that kind of helped Gwyn and turned on his own dragons um, and he helped Gwyn kill them. He is without scales, so he's mortal as opposed to the immortal dragons. He's very pale. He's now Beano skeleton, essentially. And he has been doing these um, experiments whereby he's trying to find the key to immortality and through crystals he's been able to do this and you find him at this... Um, Massive library, basically. I forget what it's called now. That's going to really annoy me. Um, at the top, next to Anor Londo. The whole thing's just great. The whole thing looks cool. Um, and it's one of those things where I was like, the first time I fought him, there was just crystals everywhere. And then I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I basically died almost immediately. And I was like, so cross. And then you wake up and you're in a jail. And you're like, 
Yeah. Cause normally you wake up at your last bonfire, but this time it's like put you in a jail and it's like, Oh, only realizing later that it's like, Oh, so he's going to do experiments on me, I guess. That was pretty cool. And then you have to basically fight your way out of the jail and then take him on again. Um, but this time you basically turn around and you see, um, a crystal, which you have to smash up first. And then that's basically where all his power comes from. And then you take him on normally from there. Um, so I've kind of, even though like that's not just the boss fight, the boss fight is him and not the jail stuff. The whole thing overall, that whole story and plot was really great. Um, and I really liked it. And I thought it was very creative and original. And then, yeah, when I went in to do the actual final fight, I smashed the crystal up and I killed him. Um, again, it felt well-deserved, felt good. And yeah, the fact you've kind of taken on this dragon i know i said with just <laughs> that was like the first dragon i played is the kind of that was like a dragon dragon this guy seath just kind of sits there he's not really like a proper dragon he kind of um breathes these crystals or whatever at you um so he is a dragon but really he's not like doing dragony kind of stuff um he just seems to look like a dragon and yeah but it felt big and epic and yeah the fact that i liked the idea that you can you see these guys in the beginning intro and now you're actually like fighting them. And he was one of the ones I was like, man, this is really cool. So yeah, um, a good, good fight. And yeah, there's a bit of story to it as well, which is good. So that brings me on to number 19, which is Quelag from Dark Souls 1. Um, Quelag is one of the Daughters of Chaos. And she's the spider, half sexy woman, half disgusting spider that spews lava everywhere. And the lead up to her is uh, great it's brilliant i like the whole level i mean you kind of this is where you um make your way uh down to all the sludge and the nastiness of blight town and you know all the poison at the bottom and then like you see like her lair which is all like webs basically and there's these giants throwing boulders at you trying to get you away and when you go in there's this like weird pustule thing um which you don't have to kill and then you go through and you take her on uh it took me a few goes um I think this was the first, I'd kind of had trouble with all the bosses, but this was the first boss where I was like, you know, properly like, right, I have to really focus on what I'm doing now. Um, the other ones have been a bit like, oh, you can hack a slash, but where she was doing all this lava stuff and she was kind of felt like she was everywhere a bit more. I was like, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, got to focus, got to focus. And especially after going through Blight Town where it's just like ugh, such slow and like dark and horrible and nasty, I was like, got to get out of here. And the kind of bright lava that she spews as well was quite cool. And yeah, you're in the fact that you're in this spider layer is great. What I didn't realise until quite recently is that you're actually right underneath Firelink Shrine. Um, and there's, there's points where you can actually look up and see it, which is mad when you think about it. It's pretty cool though, isn't it? So Quilag's, um as a character is cool. I like the fact she's like sexy woman, but then disgusting spider. It's literally two complete opposites. Um, the fight itself was great. I liked kind of, you know, um, trying to get away from more lava attacks and all this stuff. And when you finally kill her and you go to the back, you can actually find her sister and you realise that Quelag is trying to, like, basically get souls and stuff to give to her sister because her sister's in so much pain. So the fact that, again, they've kind of weaved in a kind of story around it. So at the time, I'm just like, I don't really, you know... Again, I played the first Dark Souls without really knowing what's happening um and i had to read all up about it on the end and put things into better context but this is one of the times where i was like something that's like dark um in a really good way and uh yeah so again it's kind of like a story around it um and on top of being a great boss battle and with someone who looks pretty cool as well 
So yeah, this was great. I thought it was a really good boss fight. And that was number 19. So number 18 is from Dark Souls 2. And it's The Looking Glass Knight. And the reason why I like this so much is because he kind of spawns in in his mirror. He's got like a mirror shield thing. And he spawns in people. And he can also, and this happened to me once, um, spawn in other players to fight you. And this was done, I mentioned this earlier in Dark Souls 3, when you're up against the Spear of the Cathedral, whatever. Um, but yeah, in this one, this was the first time, time they'd done it, um, a little bit, touched upon it. The Licking Class Knight himself is a cool fight, big. Um, again, he's at a point where you're just like, I feel like I'm nearing the end of something, when really you're just at the beginning of something. But um, just that's cool. I like the fact he's got this big mirror thing and... I felt like he was cloning me as well um, when I before like someone else came in. Maybe I made that up. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, if again he felt big, and I quite liked this gimmicky maybe um, element to it. And yeah, and again it felt like a, a good crescendo to the build up that had come just before it. So that was the Looking Glass Knight number eighteen. Number seventeen is Dark Souls threes. Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls 3's Pontiff Sullivan. Renowned to be difficult. Um, I found him tough, but I actually did it, I think, on my fourth go. And I didn't find him particularly that hard. No, not me boasting or anything like that. Um, I went, I was doing a strength build and I found that if I just kind of did a classic like dodge, like, well, basically roll, roll hit, back up, roll, hit, back up. Um, because I was so powerful as well, it didn't kind of take me that long. And then when he, halfway through, he's got like two swords and he's kind of sweeping them around a lot and it's pretty constant. And then halfway through, he has like a shadow version of himself. Um, and I was, because they're quite, literally they're physically close to each other when they start. I kind of just concentrate on getting that shadow one guy away like pretty quick. And his health is a lot less. So every time he appeared, I just kind of smashed him up and then I went straight for the Pontius Sullivan again and continued what I was doing. So it didn't feel like it was that um, complicated, but I, I loved, again, great build-up. And this is it's something that Gary from um, Bonfireside Chat says, which, you know, he's right about. He's right about a lot of stuff. Um, but one of them is that when, as you before you get to the boss, the level that you're kind of going through to reach him, you're, the boss's fingerprints are everywhere. So you're finding out about the boss as you're playing and you don't even realise it really until you get there. Um, and that's great. And this was very much like that. Um, his moveset, everything around him, getting there in the first place. It was just, I loved it. Loved everything about it. And it was um, a difficult fight. But yeah, as I said, I didn't find it particularly tough. They were definitely tougher. Um, like I see why. I think I just got lucky with my build and my play style. Um, whereas whereupon I was able to kind of take advantage of that. Um, and yeah, just, and he looks cool. It's, it's a cool story behind him as well. Um, so yeah, Pontiff Sullivan. Number 16 is Lorian and Lothric from Dark Souls 3. Now I'm still tempted to put this higher um, and I might get lambasted for not putting it higher, especially with some of the ones which people might um, hate me for. But these are the two brothers, one of which is like a massive um, kind of a bigger humanoid, I suppose, or in his armour, but it's like his legs are broken, so he's just kind of trying to crawl around and smash you up with his sword, and he is very powerful. And his brother is kind of hanging back for the first half of the fight, 
and he's all like magic and stuff and he's trying to help his brother out um, when they defeat you. Uh, this took me a few goes to do. It's funny enough, it's one of those things where like I thought uh, the first time I did it, I actually did better. I got really close to doing it and then another like 12 to 15 goes later, um, I defeated it. But those 12 or 15 goes, I didn't do as good as I did that first time. It's one of those weird things. Um yeah, I think I overthought it probably a bit too much. But yeah, you kind of, he teleports about a bit, um, the the big brother, as it were, teleports about a bit, maybe he's a little brother, I can't remember, uh, physically big. And um, yeah, his sword is pretty, uh, hits you hard, he's got some good combos, but you can kind of get behind him and, you know, um, smash him up a bit. And when he gets to about halfway, then the brother climbs on his back. Now the problem is if you don't, if you kill the big brother then the little brother basically brings him back to life and you have to do it again. So the idea is you kind of want to concentrate on the little brother. You kind of want to concentrate on both, but the little brother's where it's at. You want to smash him about. about. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of takes you a while because they, they kind of follow up each other's attacks and it can get a bit complicated and overwhelming at some points. But So, yeah, there's a lot of like, you've got to keep moving um, and all this, but it was it was good fun and it just story of it was cool they talked a bit um the fact that it's like you know this little bit halfway through where he brings him back to life was nice and just the way it ends um was cool as well and yeah if you look about into the plot about how they basically deserted their duty and um yeah and all this and you know they killed a demon prince or something and you know the one was supposed to be the brother that the other person to kind of ignite the flame and they both shirked their duties and just stayed mates basically then great and all that stuff is is really cool but yeah this is like the big um fight the last kind of lord of cinder before you take on the boss so yeah it's it's tough um but it's definitely fair and again the big run-up feels really epic you've done loads to get here now like this is at lothric castle um like the big hub there's this massive staircase to even get there whole thing feels epic and it's a really good fight to end on so yeah i'm still quibbling over whether i should have put it higher really but um i, I haven't so number 16 is Lorient and lothric which now brings me up to number 15 we're getting there guys this is dark soul 2's burnt ivory king and this was part of the dlc for dark souls 2 um the ivory king and this is the he's kind of like the big boss um of this it, I, th- I believe this was the last in terms of the release uh, this is the last DLC released, but it wasn't the last one I did. Uh, the last one I did was the um, underwater one or whatever, the underground one. Uh, not the fire one and not this one, basically. Wind, maybe. Um, so, yeah, Burnt Ivory King, you have to basically go around and collect these knights from the level. Um, and I didn't realise this for ages. So I kind of took on this boss very quickly. And what happens is when you kind of fall down... Um, you get one night, I think, automatically anyway or something. And then I was summoning someone to help me and we were just taking on these people and this guy was like, dude, you got to get the other nights. Like, we can't take these guys on by ourselves. I was like, what are you talking about? Then I realised I had to go backtrack, basically explore the level thoroughly to get it. And I just thought that I'd reached the end because I'm thick. Um, I just thought, I was like, oh, that's surprisingly short. But no, it's a whole other thing to it. So then you go back and you find, I think it's like three or four knights who are just kind of sitting on this chair, you just press a button and they like get up and disappear and then they come, they meet you at the final battle. Then you go back and 
Yeah, and then you all kind of fall through this pit into the abyss, I guess. And then basically there's these um, like swaths of enemies turn up. You take them on and then it's like fucking, I think it's like a big door basically comes up. It opens out and like bloody Sauron or something, you see this little figure of someone coming through, like this kind of silhouette. And it's the burnt ivory king and then you've got to take him on. So I did these with the knights and I think I summoned... I might have summoned an NPC and summoned a human as well. So it really felt like we were like gangbusters or something. We were really kind of going in there, um, you know, trying to kill everyone and everything. It felt like a real, like, war, basically. And that was just really cool. And I hadn't had that before because a lot of these are like, you know, you're one-on-one or whatever. But this felt like it was a real, like, group effort. And, um, yeah, it just felt epic. Like, you can see his battles kind of going on around you. And you're trying to do your thing, you're helping out other people. Then, yeah, when he turns up in the middle of it all, you're like, man, here we go, we're going to smash him up. And he's powerful as well. Um, but I think I did it on my second try with all the summons. Um, and, yeah, brilliant. Really good fight, really decent. And it felt cool as well. So I can see why this is a good like send-off for like the whole of Dark Souls 2, essentially. Um, so, yeah, that's number 15. Number 14 is Gwyn the end boss of Dark Souls. So not necessarily a difficult boss. Um, I think I did my fourth go, but the run up to him was cool. You've obviously heard about him throughout the entire game. He's in this place you've not been to before, the kiln of the first flame, essentially. And when the and infamously when the music comes, is it infamous? When the music comes up, you either get there and you expect this big like, blah, 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 blah. It's not that, it's just a little plinky-plonky piano. And you basically have this massive epic fight with this guy and this very sad music. It's very strange. And um, there's a whole, like, melancholic air to it where it's like, am I doing the right thing? <laughs> like, what's, what's kind of happening? Um, yeah, very weird. But uh, it's it was a great ending to the whole thing. I thought, like, you've got this sad old man who was once a god. You've gone through his, his world, his land, his history, his, you know, his children, um, his friends, and now here's the man himself, and he's just this, like, shadow, literally, of a, of a former self. Um, but, yeah, it's still a good fight, decent. He hits hard. Um, you can do a lot of one-on-one stuff. Uh, I think a lot of people parry him a lot. You can do that. Um, I just kind of went and shield up and done some blazing a little bit. And, yeah, just the whole thing around it was like, this was cool. So when it ended, it was a really cool end to Dark Souls, I thought. Um, Not the toughest boss for an end boss as well, especially, but definitely one that I felt was reflective of the game entire. So, yeah, well well done. So next up, uh, number 13 is Sif from Dark Souls. And, again, I was one of those people who thought it was a bit wacky having, like, a big wolf with a sword in its mouth, like, what the hell is going? This is so Japanese. Um, but I found him fairly difficult to begin with. I think I might have gone away and come back a bit stronger because um, I, I believe he was kind of whipping my ass a lot at the beginning. I don't think I was strong enough. And, yeah, he's very fast. He's got quite a wide range of attack. But, yeah, as it kind of goes on, he starts, instead of getting more powerful, he gets easier. So he starts, like, limping a bit, Um and all this then it's kind of just like one point at the end where you're just like i'm just like killing this dog (laughs) like a wolf or whatever but um it's like yeah this isn't this doesn't feel like i don't know what glory i'm supposed to get out of this 
Um, the arena was cool. And then, yeah, the whole thing with Artorias and then, you know, later on all the kind of story stuff that comes out of it was all great. And it kind of put it into more of a, um, emotional context for me, but the fight itself was great. Just having this big wolf with a sword in its mouth, um, that by itself was just made like a really, really good fight. Um, and it was tough and it was tough, but it didn't feel like stupidly tough. Um, so yeah, that was number 13, Sif. Number 12 is Sir Alon from Dark Souls 2. And this has to be up there with one of the bosses it took the most times for me to defeat, probably the most time spent on. Reason why is it's kind of got a bit of a gauntlet to get to him in the first place. And you've got to take on a lot of um, little enemies. To kind of put this into context for you, with Dark Souls 2, you have to kill like an enemy, I can't remember, it's like eight or nine times, maybe maybe more, um, and then if you do that, they disappear. That whole run, there wasn't an enemy left. I would just, that's how many times it took me and how long it took. Um, so yeah, by the end of it, I was just running straight to Sarah Long because there was no enemies left because I killed them all so many times um, because I kept trying to get, you know, that little bit. I kept trying again and again and getting that little bit close, a little bit close, whatever. Um, well, I was getting to him, but as in not always or ever, or like I'd kill the first few a lot so you know etc etc had this knock-on effect and yeah um he is kind of like a samurai a little bit medieval samurai and very tough stupidly tough um i think i might have summoned one other person to help me through this but i think they died pretty quickly if i remember and it was just left to me so it made it a bit useless um and yeah he's very fast um, he doesn't really kind of give you time to heal properly, so it was quite difficult in that respect. But, yeah, when I killed him, man, that was <sighs> such a sigh of relief. Um, very, very difficult, and I probably should have been at a high level before taking him on, um, but I really enjoyed it. And if it wasn't so much for that run, I probably would have enjoyed it more, um, just because the battle itself was cool. But... Unfortunately, yeah, that run was there and it made my life a bit more difficult. So I would put it higher up the list because, and it's not a difficulty ranking. This is how much I enjoyed it. Um, But the reason why it felt like it took so long was just that run up. Fight itself was good. The run up was not good. Um, But the fight itself was good enough that it's kind of made the list. But otherwise I might put it in my top five. Um, But it's not, sorry. So number 11 is Gale. I always think from Coronation Street, which is a British show. Um, Souls, um, oh God, Slave Night Gale um, from Dark Souls 3. And he kind of turns up, he turns up in the DLCs basically as a little one in the Painted World thing. And then, yeah, he's in the in the Ring City one. He's like the final boss of that. So essentially, like chronologically or whatever, he's the final, final boss of um, Dark Souls 3. And again, it was one of those things where I, it took me a few times, not too many times, I'd say it probably took me about seven or eight times, um, because, yeah, I felt I must have... It kind of suited my play style more, I think, and again, that strength build, and I got him down to about a quarter on my first try, which isn't bad for, like, a first go. Um, and then, yeah, it was just... I always kind of... He kind of mucks around for a little bit, and then he gets a bit more angry about halfway through, much more aggressive. Um, so that first stage I was always okay at, and... You know, and then when he reached that second stage, that was when it was like, okay, got to really concentrate. 
Um, but I found kind of like rolling around behind him, just classic Dark Souls stuff. And knowing when to back off and when to run. Um, yeah, helped a lot. He can catch up quite a fair bit of distance with you quite quickly. So you just got to get your timing down right. Um, good character. I love the setting and the fact of all, everything you had to do to get there. The story behind him was cool. I liked it. And I, gen- I generally liked the, bet- the battle itself. I thought it was really well put together. Um, I liked the changes. I liked his moveset. It felt very much um, something I could deal with, but I knew it would be difficult. And that it kind of towed that line that makes it great. Um, wasn't too easy or too hard. Um, at the same time, it didn't feel unfair or anything like that. It felt doable, even though, you know, I wasn't particularly close, but I was like, yeah, I reckon I can do this, like, if I really try. Um, and that's that makes a good boss fight for me. So that's why it's at number 11. Number 10 is the Fume Knight. Probably one of the tough, definitely one of the toughest Dark Souls bosses. And again, this took me a few tries. I believe I summoned two people to help me um at the final one and yeah he doesn't like it when you heal um which is a bit annoying and i think i used some like i was using a lot of gems throughout this fight um and yeah he's like he's hits hard and constant as well so i felt like i needed um someone to help me out just to kind of distract him for a bit but yeah i mean he hits so hard like the people i was fighting with they got they get demolished pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I think like the last bit was just me, and that was tough. Um, but yeah, when I did it, I was like, man, that was great. But he is hard. He hits hard and fast, and yeah, all the crazy. I think he's got like dark and fire swords or whatever. Um, it's just constant, but a great a great fight. Uh, very very powerful. Very cool. Number nine. It's Dark Souls, um, for, it's Dark Souls 1, Four Kings. Uh, first time I did this, I fell straight through because um, I didn't do Sif or whatever and get the ring. Um, so I had to kind of look in a guide. It was like, you need the ring. So, oh, fuck's sake. So went all the way back, um, took on Sif, got the ring, and then, yeah, took these guys on. And um, I was too overpowered, really, when I think back to it. So it only took me a couple of tries um but i liked it i like the fact that it's like it's in the abyss so it's pitch black they come out of nowhere they look fucking cool they look great and basically if you don't kill them fast enough when they turn up another one appears and there's four of them so you've kind of got to be careful you don't get too surrounded um and luckily it was one of those things where like i would kill one just as the other was about to reach me and it felt like if it felt great but like really hectic even though it wasn't particularly that hectic um the gothic scary nature of it all was just cool and yeah generally speaking it was generally speaking it was um just an amazing cool dark horrible fight again it's one of those things where um the new londo ruins you've drained all the water you're kind of the city itself is kind of leading you to these guys there's loads of abyss type stuff going on and the fact you just basically fall through into nothing you know, and you're standing on nothing as well. You're in, like, the abyss. Um, man, that's just cool. That was just really, really cool. So, yeah, hence that makes number nine, Four Kings. So carrying on with the abyss brings me to number eight, which is Manus, the father of the abyss from Dark Souls 1. Again, this is from the uh, DLC. 
the Artorias DLC, and he's like the end boss, basically. So you go through Ulysil, I think it's called, and everyone's been tainted by the Abyss, and this is like back in time, um, before the actual proceedings of the first Dark Souls, you've gone back in time to do this, and he is at the heart of it all. So again, you kind of work your way down into the darkness, and it obviously gets darker and darker, and you see these like, they're like humanity souls or whatever, kind of floating around, and when you get there, you take on, uh, yeah, Manus, who is this kind of big, ugly creature. You know, it comes out of the dark. And it's a fairly tough fight. Um, I think uh, I did it on my third or fourth go, but I was extremely um, powerful as well by this point. And, yeah, genuinely a good fight um, and had a, had a good moveset. But just, again, having it, build up to this point because not only is it through that dlc you're hearing about it but throughout the entire game you're hearing about the abyss um and it's often thought that manus is actually the uh, furtive pygmy who picked up one of the um uh the power souls or whatever they call them it's not like power rangers um one of the souls right at the beginning alongside gwyn and stuff who just kind of gets forgotten about the oft forgotten furtive pygmy and this actually became Manus. Um, so, yeah, so everything is kind of building up to this fight. And obviously it's kind of the last boss that you'll fight in Dark Souls as well because of the fact that it was the DLC that was released afterwards. And, yeah, it's just, it felt dark, it felt epic, it felt horrible. Um, and, yeah, it was like, a you know, to get to that point, you had to kind of you know go through quite a lot. So it was a great fight. Great fight. It looked great. It felt dark. It felt evil. Um, and yeah, so that's why it's a number eight. Which brings me on to number seven. In the same kind of vein is Gravelord Nito from Dark Souls 1. Um, now people might be a bit like, what? <laughs> he's not that great. As a fight, he was, I thought he was good. Like he's got his like big um, scythe thing. Uh, but the fact that He's made up of like tons of skeletons. You're in this horribly dark room full of like dead skeletons, whatever. He looks so cool. Um, and again, it's one of those things where I think I beat him on my second or third try. So it actually didn't take me that long. He's not a particularly tough fight, but the law around him was cool. He just looked horrible and it was great. And the fact that you'd gone through, again, this pitch black level of Dark Souls, basically. Like, people talk about Blightdown and how dark and dirty it is, but, like, Tomb of the Giants and all that, my God, it is so dark, like, visually dark. And it's scary. It's really, like, can be really scary to play through. Um, And this is kind of the culmination of that. You've worked your way, you've worked your way here uh, to, to Nito. And he's literally made up of death. That's what he is. Um, so, yeah, for me, that was an epic fight. I loved it. It really made a lasting impression on my brain. And, yeah, so that's why it's, it's got so high. So now we're down to number six. Number six is Sister Freed from Dark Souls 3. Now, she was part of the uh, Ashes of Ariandel DLC, the first DLC that was released from Dark Souls 3. And, well, I mean, this fight was tough. So this was probably, I would say, maybe the 
third boss that took me, maybe the third or fourth boss that took me the longest. Um, for the simple fact that uh, you, you kind of meet her about halfway through and then you have to kind of go around and open this tomb and then you go back to where she's sitting in this church and then you go back down and the and her fa- the father, which is this like, you know, huge, humongous beast with like a skull um, for a face, but like with long hair and he's looking into this bowl of fire. Just him by himself is amazing and he becomes part of the boss fight. So he comes down and, and Sister Freed comes down and it's like, don't worry about it, I'll f- f- fight this guy, as in you. And um, then, yeah, that first phase, she's kind of like a bit like Priscilla, which is kind of because it, the whole DLC is uh, a little bit similar to the Painted World um, from the first Dark Souls. Um, and this is another Painted World that you find yourself in in this DLC. And she's got this, like, scythe like Priscilla. She disappears. She goes invisible. Um and then, so you have to kind of get from that, but she's got basically three health bars. Um, so once you defeat her in this first stage, the second stage, um, basically the um, the father guy, this big, huge, hulking monster, who's chained down, breaks his chains and comes at you with this like fiery bowl. And then this is where it's like, okay, there's a lot happening here. So you've got Sister Frieda doing her stuff that she does, which is quite difficult in itself. He, meanwhile, is like, running across the arena um and he's spouting fire everywhere and he's jumping around so uh, i believe they have a shared health bar so you kind of doesn't really matter which you go for you can go for both or whatever but you always have to have your eye on the other person there is a lot happening during that second phase and then you think once you've done that you think oh, i've done it that seems reasonable uh-uh you've just you've just got started in the third phase um it's basically uh, the father's like, oh, oh, you know, Sister Freed is dead. Oh, no, what am I going to do? And um, kind of like revives her, really. Like you hear his words and he seems to revive, uh, revive her. And now she's kind of been tainted by the abyss, whatever. She's dark. She has all this dark magic now. And this is when like her attacks are so powerful and her combos, like you can't, you basically can't make a mistake or you can make one or whatever, um, because it is a constant attack. Um, and she'll she'll rush towards you, and she can one-hit you, and you're out, after you've just spent all that time to even get to that point. Very frustrating. Very, very difficult. And I was at a point where I thought, well, I was kind of, not cocky, but like, eh, you know, I can, I'm, I'm not really having too much of a problem with stuff. Um, especially since I'd just come off the back of uh, defeating no way, I defeated Nameless King after this. So I actually tried defeating Nameless King, had to put that down, and then I went and did Sister Freed, and then I came back and did Nameless King. Um, yeah, so I'd saved both those boss fights, basically, to, to do back-to-back, which is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Sister Freed, so I found out that um, I hadn't summoned anyone for, I don't think, any of the fights in Dark Souls 3 um, so far. Uh, I think I no, I haven't and summoned anyone. But for this, I I kept I saw a summon sign um outside and you can you don't need an ember. So you can just summon I think it's Slave Knight Gael, who um was becomes a boss in the other DLC which I've spoken about. But he helps you um in this fight. But he only comes in on the second stage. So the first stage you've still got the one on one thing. You've basically got to make sure you don't use that much Estus. Um so it's quite tactical. And you can maybe use one or two, but ideally you don't want to use any. 
Um, and that's, that's kind of manageable, that first phase. Second, even the invisible thing really does get me because I cannot tell for the life of me when she's going to strike. So as soon as she goes invisible, if I can't get to her in time, I'm just rolling around everywhere in the hope that she won't get me. I'd say half the time she does. Extremely annoying because it can like knock out half your energy, if not more. Anyway, second phase is when the um, support will come in. And yeah, and basically what I was doing was I was um, trying to take on one person whilst Gail was going for the other. Um, and that's what I was doing a lot. Um, and then he was dying and it was just leaving me by myself. So and what I started doing in the second phase was um, was basically uh, making sure that um, he survives by kind of having us both attack the same person. And it was usually Sister Freed. So basically what I would do is attack Sister Freed um, to kind of draw her attention away from Gail. Um, and I could kind of deal with it. And also I had my eye on um, when fire, the father was coming. And if he like kind of was near me or nearby me and it felt like an easy hit, I would I would just I'd turn my attention to him. And then when I was like, oh, he's turning to attack me or he's going to do whatever, then I'd run out of the way and I'd go for Sister Freed. She also heals during these moments as well if you don't get to her in time. So whenever she was down there healing, that's basically carte blanche to kind of find her and go at her. Um, and when I found that uh, I could bring Gail to the third stage of the fight, um, I basically, because uh, she can be like stun locked. So instead I was playing all like tapfully and like, oh, hit, run away. Not the way to play. Go super aggressive. Um, if both of you go at her, you'll stun lock her. Just make sure that you keep your Estus in check and jump back when you need to and just have at it and that will happen and basically it will take like 10 seconds really or whatever um for that third phase because she just doesn't she can't start doing anything um and yeah and that just worked really well to be honest so really great fight I felt like I earned it um I had to mix up my play style a little bit yes I brought in the summon but um, I think that would be really difficult to do by yourself, which I had tried to do for many a time. Um, and even, like, I've wasted a lot of... Wasted, well, yeah, wasted, but, like, a lot of Ember, um, which is, like, a limited resource you get, which kind of gives you extra health and all this stuff, um, trying to do this, and it just wasn't working. So, yeah, so it felt like once I completed that, I was like, man, cool, that was great. But, again, the story kind of behind it, the visualness of it was great. It looked great. And, um, yeah, it was very difficult. Um, but once I'd kind of figured out to use the summon and how to use the summon, um, I was like, this isn't too bad. It was, it was manageable. Uh, so, yeah, again, it was one of those things I just kind of had to figure out, figured it out, enjoyed it. So, yeah, that's why number six. Number five. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quite similar, actually. Number five is Sin which is the, um, it was the last boss I did for Dark Souls 2, um, but it was one of the DLCs for Dark Souls 2. Uh, as I said, it's the one that's kind of, um, I always keep going to underwater, I don't mean that, um, but the one that's underground or whatever. Anyway, Sin is like a massive dragon that you take on at the end of this. So yeah, it's the last thing I did in Dark Souls 2, I believe. And you are in a, a fairly big arena. You can bring in um, some summons with you. Uh, which I ended up doing. And he flies around a lot. He's got a lot of space. He flies around a lot, breathing a lot of fire. Um, I didn't have anyone aerial or it wasn't magic. I was melee. So <laughs> I did find a lot of the fire. I was kind of having to chase the dragon, literally, um, from one end to the other. And once I got close and I got behind him, I was smashing him up. And then the summons were kind of doing stuff around it. But it just felt like... So there was loads happening. It was great that you're in like this kind of gang um, to come and kill this dragon. It felt big, felt like scale big. It felt epic. And there was just one point, I think like two thirds of the way through, I think it took me, it did take me a few goes, but like towards the one I was going to win, um, uh, that specific one, it was got about two thirds in. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got enough health. I've got a groove. This is going well. Someone's doing well. They're all alive. Um I think it was two, two others. And uh, yeah, and I was just like, this is amazing. I was like, this is so great. Um, just because it, yeah, just because it felt really big. It felt cool that we were doing this all together. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it's weird because I spent I, like 90% of more probably than that, 95% of Dark Souls I do by myself. I don't summon anyone for like the bits in between. I might summon someone for a boss but Dark Souls 1 I wasn't able to summon because I was playing on a Switch and I didn't all I had was the NPCs and I very very rarely were, had used my humanity so I wasn't um, aware of it I don't use items I don't know why I even bother picking them up and exploring because I'm just like a hoarder essentially I don't use anything Dark Souls 2 um, I did a lot more summoning that was on the PlayStation Dark Souls 2 I did an Xbox random so I've done one on each platform um, and there just wasn't anyone to summon Basically, I didn't see any summon signs and I wasn't really using Ember. Um, I didn't really have much of a problem with with most of the bosses. So a lot of these I've done alone, but with this one, um, it just felt like it was cool. All of us taking on this massive dragon again, um, who was tough. So yeah, that was Sin. At number four, uh, this might be something that people um, will get annoyed about because a lot of people didn't like this, but number four was uh, The Soul of Cinder. Uh, end boss basically from the main game in Dark Souls 3 um, and I can see why and it kind of goes against everything I've been saying thus far in terms of building up the lore 
like how Gwyn was basically, right? Where it's like hearing about him, you've seen all this stuff everywhere and then you face him. With the soul of Cinder, there's none of that. I don't know who he is. I don't really understand what he is or who he is. Um, but what I did like about it was the fact that it changed, he changed his play style um, consistently. So he would change literally weapons and how he moved, he would be like magic based or whatever, or he'd use um, like a great sword um, or, you know, something else. And yeah, so kind of fighting against him, you had to kind of adapt as you were playing it. And it was one of those things where I felt like, I, each time I played it, I felt like, oh, I'm just learning that little bit more. I'm getting that little bit closer. And yeah, when I finally did it, um, it felt like everything had just come together nicely. Like I knew what he was going to do when, I knew what the what it meant, I knew all the different play styles he was kind of going through. I liked the arena, like the fact there's all these swords in the ground where like, you know, that's where people have died or whatever. Um, and just like the sparseness of the entire thing. Also like the topsy-turvy nature of how you kind of get there. Um, just all that I thought was really cool. And yeah. And the fact that it's like, you know, you've got this like blood moon rising or whatever um, in the background. Uh, it just felt really like dark and horrible and like this graveyard of dark souls. And you're fighting like, like a culmination of everything that's come before it to do with dark souls. Um, so even though there wasn't a specific identity with this guy, maybe, um, it felt like it was like, like a best of maybe or something like that. Bit cheesy, I know, but um, and taking that aside, just as a fight, I really liked it and I liked the way it kind of played around and adapted and jumped about, and that variety really got me going. So um, that's why it's so high. Number four, Soul of Cinder. Now here we go. So top three, and it's going to be tough. It was tough to put these in the order. Um, that I thought, and I, I think a lot of people are going to get annoyed, a lot of Dark Souls fans are getting annoyed by how I've done this, but whatever. So number three, third best boss of Dark Souls, Artorius from Dark Souls 1, uh, from the DLC. A lot of people, to a lot of people, this is probably their top boss fight, um, and I can see why. Basically, it's a one-on-one duel. You, The story behind him is cool. He looks cool. You're in the stadium. Um, the the his like play style, the way he comes at you, is great. Um, and yeah, I just loved like everything about it. Really good battle. Um, felt the right difficulty as well. It didn't feel crazy difficult. It felt like one of those things where it's like, at first you get like pummeled, then you're like the more you try the more you're like, okay, you know what? This is doable. Like, I can do this. So, again, building up that confidence each time you do it. Um, and, yeah, just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, and, the, yeah, the whole story behind it about he was the one that kind of saved the the abyss from taking over, but actually he's been tainted by the abyss and it's you, you defeat him and you go and save the abyss. So, um save the abyss save the world basically from the abyss uh, but Artorius gets the credit all that stuff wicked loved it um so yeah I was thoroughly 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 um I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it and so that's why it's made the third best boss of Dark Souls um trilogy so the second boss and I know I should say this as well 
I know I haven't included Demon Souls because I've not played it. This is literally just Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3. Just thought about that as I was talking. Number two, and yeah, a lot of people are going to disagree with this, but for me, it was Nameless King from Dark Souls 3. Now, why is that? Well, he was by far and away the toughest boss I ever faced in Dark Souls. That doesn't necessarily mean that that makes him automatically the best. Um, The stuff I loved about it was... The, the fact that to get to Arch Dragon's Peak, is that what it's called? Um, like, I didn't even know about it until, like, I'd basically completed the game and was like, right, what did I miss? And I was like, oh, I've missed an entire area. Um, so the fact that he's kind of boss of this little bit, afterwards, finding out that he's supposed to be, like, Gwyn's firstborn and all this uh, made it cool. I like the fact of like you walk in, like the whole ringing the bell and you walk across this storm and this big gateway. He swoops down on a dragon and you got to kill him. you got to kill the dragon first or whatever and then you take him on one-on-one. They both look cool. He looks really cool. Um, the music, everything, it's just, it feels massive. It feels epic. But my, my God, it was, it was one of those fights where I was just like banging my head against a wall um, but I did, each time I was gradually getting better. So, yeah, at first I thought it was just the dragon. So when I first did it, I was just like, all right, cool, yeah. I, I was like, yeah, I can do this. Um, fairly confident. And, then, you know, a couple of tries later, I was like, okay, yeah, I killed this dragon. Oh, right, here we go. Oh, we're fighting him. He's got a new health bar and I'm dead immediately. And I just couldn't, I went back, I tried different builds. I tried upgrading um, different weapons and shields. And I was like, right, I'm, there's something I'm not quite getting here. Um, I tried going in with hardly anything on so I could like fast roll through everything, get some more iframes. But it kind of left me susceptible. I wasn't that good at the timing. It left me susceptible to um, a lot of his attacks, basically. So I tried so many different things and I must have spent hours and hours and hours on it. Right? To just t- I went away, came back. I went off and did other things in the game, came back. As I said, I did the whole... Ashes Variandal thing and came back. And I did it before the Ring City, actually. But um, I think it is. Yeah, I did. And yeah, so just everything about him just felt epic and cool. And his play style was just so powerful. And you'd expect that really from a God of War. Um, And in the end, uh, you can't summon anyone for it. Well, I couldn't. Um, I don't know if you can. I've no idea. I, I imagine you can summon anyone for anything, but I was not seeing any summon signs around. Um, and then when I had to actually beat him, um, I had to like really focus my loadout, and uh, I basically used Havel's armor in the end and Havel's shield, or as much of Havel's armor as I could. Um, like my equip load wasn't crazy good, but yeah, used as much as possible. And I found that if if I, with the shield, the shield basically can absorb a lot more than I thought it could, essentially. I was using Yorm's Great Shield up to this point, um, mostly, and pretty good. But then, yeah, when I got Havel's Great Shield, which I hadn't really used, and then I just sh- shoved some um, Titanite in there, uh, upgraded it a bit, and then I think I got to like plus four or something because I didn't have any slabs left. And um, yeah, when I went in, when he's doing his fire stuff like i could do the dragon now by using maybe like one or two flasks max um 
And then when I got to Nameless King, basically, if you can get far back enough to use an Estus when he hits you, essentially, and the thing is, like, you've got to make it a quick fight because the longer it takes, he just he will just demolish you. So it's a case of, like, even if you only lost, like, I'd say a third of your health or whatever, just use an Estus. Just jump back, heal up, and then come at it again. Um, I found just by kind of circling him a bit and trying to roll, but then um, was kind of working. And then in the end, basically all I was doing was I just went in, shield up, have his great shield, shield up. Um, and you still take a bit of damage each time, but basically I was waiting for his combos to end and then I'd slam him with my great sword um, and then kind of take a step back, see how I was doing and come back in, like make sure my stamina was regening as quickly as possible, which it was pretty good at anyway. Because he like sucks up so much of your stamina, um, especially if you, you you are using a shield. And basically, just by doing that, um, I was like, you know, I think the first time I tried it, I'd got him down to half health. And I wasn't really breaking that much of a sweat. And I was like, man, okay, this is going to work. A couple more times later, I did it. But I must have took this guy on 50 times, at least, something like that. Um and just that feeling of when I defeated him and I know there's that thing of like don't, um, r relief uh, isn't um, a good sign, if you know what I mean. It shouldn't be deemed quality, basically, um, in terms of like, you know, just because something's difficult doesn't make it good, which is true. And I think it does apply here. Um, I was extremely frustrated um, during most parts of it, but... Again, the game forced me to kind of look at how I was playing and change things around a bit, change my loadout, um, change how I was taking on the fight. And it basically got me good at like rolling as well, I have to be honest. Um, and it worked and I did it. And it, basically it was a classic thing of like, it was hard work. The hard work paid off. Um, but I think there's an element where a lot of it, I think, for me personally, rested on Havel's Great Shield, maybe more than I would want. Um, but yeah, it just, when I did it, um, it felt great. It felt like, um, yeah, like a weight off my shoulders and that shouldn't be the sign of a good thing. But I just loved that boss so much. And in hindsight, the more um, I think about it, the more uh, I like it and the more I'm like in love with it a little bit and enjoyed doing it. Um, even though I probably didn't as much at the time. Um, and again, it's kind of a bit different with the uh, the dragon um, from uh, Ring City, just because that doesn't feel as fun. This felt fun, it felt cool, uh, and it did feel doable. And, you know, even when I was trying, you know, like half of it's the dragon, and then, you know, once you've got that down, which, you know, you can, it seems impossible at first, but actually it, you can do it. And, you know, it's not, it becomes a thing where you, you take it on so many times you get used to it. Um, but yeah, and then you've just got to figure out how to deal with him, which is the real problem. And once you kind of know what's going on, then uh, yeah. So I don't think when people go like, it's too difficult, it is very difficult. But for me, I put the time and effort into it and, it, and I did it. Um, and I enjoyed that moment and I enjoyed the fight as well. And I think he's cool. I think he's just a cool boss to have. And, you know, I thought he was, 
if he was like the end boss for the entire game or something, then I guess a lot more people wouldn't complete the game. But um, it just felt apt. It felt apt I was taking this on at the end of the main game as well, if you know what I mean, um, rather than Soul of Cinder, because as, as much as I've said, I loved Soul of Cinder. This had more of a story and also it it forced me to have to do more um, and, you know, learn from my mistakes. And that's what makes a great Dark Souls boss to me. So, yeah, that's why it's at number two. Um, which brings me to number one. The best boss fight of Dark Souls of the trilogy. Um, no real surprise here because people will probably be waiting for this anyway. Ornstein and Thmo. Uh, from the first Dark Souls. Now, why is this? Firstly, it was um, when I had got to this point in Anolondo, um, I was getting a bit cocky, I think, I reckon anyway. And when I came up against these guys, I was like, man, I am, I was like, I didn't know what had happened to me. I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to do this, basically? So I ended up, I used a few, quite a few humanities just going in, summoning someone i can't remember who you summon is it Solaire? um and trying them on and i was just like i could get through the first phase and then the second phase i was like i just can't i cannot do this um i read a guide and it said oh try and kill ornstein first um and i was like okay and so yeah it, i had to go away basically and grind a little bit and become more powerful because I was just like, I'm not ready. Like, I'm not at a level where I can do this. Um, and I went away for a bit and then I came back to it and I wasn't ready still. Went away for a bit, ground, uh, grinded for a little bit, just practiced more, basically. Came back and did it and, yeah, completed it. Um, yeah, no way. It didn't take me, like, crazy times like it did with, like, Nameless King or anything. Um, but it did take me quite a few goes and used up a lot of humanity in the process. It didn't really matter because you get loads later on, but to, at the time it felt like a big deal. And the fact that there's, yeah, it's a point in the game where it's, you know, these guys really feel like guardians. Like, right, all that stuff was a test. Let's see, let's see how you really do. Like this is, you're in the real game now. This is the real stuff. It felt like that, like I was playing with the big boys now. Um, and also, um, it had to make, it made me good. Basically I had to, I was really having to focus and concentrate. Everything else had been a bit like, just get behind it, smash it, you know, or whatever, roll out the way a few times, smash it with this and trying to negotiate two people. I was like, right. I honestly have to, have to really focus here on what I'm doing, what they're doing, what, what all their tells of their different moves, how that's going to affect what I'm going to be doing when I can, um, when I can, when I should attack. Um, and yeah, and getting to that and the fact that this was like, I think it was the first time that there was like a second phase. Um, it was like, oh, right, well, okay, now now this is going a bit crazy. Um, but again, it still felt like, it still felt manageable. And I think in the end I did it by myself as well, even though I had been summoning, I think I just did it um, on my Todd Um I think because I ran out of humanities, to be honest, I don't think it was anything, um, you know, me trying to, you know, give myself more of a challenge. I think it was just I ran out of humanities. So I was just, uh, um, I was just having to give it a go myself. And yeah, when it, 
happened, I there was part of me thinking, is this the end boss? Um, and then you come up and it's like, oh, you see Guinevere. And she's like, here's the, which you find out, and you found out after I'd completed the whole game that she was just a, not even real. And she's like, oh, here's the Lord Vessel. Here you go. You're worthy. And now it's like, what? hold on, I can warp between bonfires. Ah, oh, because I thought, oh my God, that is amazing. Um, and which when I think about it, it's like, that's why I liked the first half of Dark Souls, maybe the best. So you couldn't do that. So it really felt like you were on this journey. Um, but yeah, it was fun to have once you got it. I was like, man, I can just go anywhere now. This is mad. This is crazy. I don't have to like, you know, bear in mind, like I had to backtrack, you know, from um, where I was in order to uh, um, grind and all this stuff. Um, or maybe I grinded around there. I can't remember, but still. And um, yeah, so, you know, it's quite a, quite a journey. And yeah, they were just hard, tough boss battle. Um, and it was the first real challenge, proper, proper challenge um, that I'd come up against uh, when I was playing this. And yeah, I just thought, oh my God, as I was playing it, I was like, this is crazy. So it felt cool um, during the game. It felt like this was this was the game. Um, big uh, build up, um, cool after points of the story. It's not just like, okay, you defeat it, right, next bit. It's like you get something actually proper for it. It felt like it really did feel like you'd passed a test. Um, and that, yeah, you felt like you're worthy now to take on the rest of the game. Um, and to have this like halfway through the game, um, it's very bold. It's a very bold step, but it's very Dark Souls. And that's the reason why this is basically the number one boss fight of the entire series, Ornstein and Smo. So there we go. That is whew, a pretty exhaustive list of all the Dark Souls bosses that um, I'd done. Again, there was four that um, missed out only because I hadn't actually uh, taken them on. Um, and again, I'll just kind of go through. Uh, so Calamite from Dark Souls 1, I never did. Uh, he was a dragon. The ancient dragon from Dark Souls 2, who's like your mate, basically. I didn't kill him. I didn't even bother. Um, but yeah, he's a boss fight you can do. Um, Gwendolyn from Dark Souls 1, I didn't even realise until afterwards and never went back. So never did that. But um, yeah, I imagine that he, he would be fairly high in people's lists maybe and the dark lurker from dark souls 2 i don't even know where he is <laughs> so um if i did i don't i looked him up and i was like i don't understand where this guy was so maybe there was a whole chunk of dark souls 2 that i just didn't even get on board with or maybe i did it and i forgot but um those are the four that i didn't do so counting down now uh at number 82 was the Royal Rat Vanguard from Dark Souls 2. Number 81, the Covetous Demon from Dark Souls 2. Number 80, the Prowling Magus from Dark Souls 2. Number 79, the Stray Demon from Dark Souls 1. Number 78, Royal Rat Authority from Dark Souls 2. Number 77, Centipede Demon from Dark Souls 1. Uh, 76, the Demon Fire Sage from Dark Souls 1. 75, Half-Light Spear of the Church or whatever, Dark Souls 3. 74, Sanctuary Guardian from Dark Souls 1. 73, Dark Eater Medea from Dark Souls 3. 72, Grave Tender Champion and Grave Tender Wolf from Dark Souls 3. 71, Scorpioness Nazca from Dark Souls 2. Number 70, Baneful Queen Mytha from Dark Souls 2. Number 69, King Vendrick from Dark Souls 2. 
Number 68, The Ancient Wyvern from Dark Souls 3. Number 67, Bed of Chaos from Dark Souls 1. Number 66, Pinwheel from Dark Souls 1. Number 65, Ceaseless Discharge from Dark Souls 1. 64, Old Iron King from Dark Souls 2. 63, Smelter Demon from Dark Souls 2. Number 62, The Crystal Sage from Dark Souls 3. Number 61, The Moonlight Butterfly from Dark Souls 1. Number 60, The Belfry Gargoyles from Dark Souls 2. Number 59, Demon Song from Dark Souls 2. Number 58, The Asylum Demon from Dark Souls 1. Number 57, The Flexile Sentry from Dark Souls 2. Number 56, The Taurus Demon from Dark Souls 1. Number 55, The High Lord Walnir from Dark Souls 3. Number 54, Cursed Rotten Greatwood from Dark Souls 3. Number 53, Capra Demon from Dark Souls 1. Number 52, Deacons of the Deep from Dark Souls 3. Number 51, The Giant Lord from Dark Souls 2. Number 50, Ruined Sentinels from Dark Souls 2. Number 49, Skeleton Lords from Dark Souls 2. Number 48, Yorm the Giant from Dark Souls 3. Number 47, The Rotten from Dark Souls 2. Number 46, Ludic Skindir from Dark Souls 3. Number 45, Dragon Rider from Dark Souls 2. Number 44, Arva, King's Pet from Dark Souls 2. Number 43, Vort of the Boreal Valley, Dark Souls 3. Number 42, Dark Duke's De- Dear Freya from Dark Souls 2. Number 41, Throne Defender and Watcher from Dark Souls 2. Number 40, Execution Chariot from Dark Souls Executioner Chariot from Dark Souls 2. Number 39, The Old Dragon Slayer from Dark Souls 2. Number 38, Dancer of the Boreal Valley from Dark Souls 3. Number 37, The Last Giant from Dark Souls 2. Number 36, Crossbreed Priscilla from Dark Souls 1. Number 35, The Lost Sinner from Dark Souls 2. Number 34, The Pain of Below and His Mate, Dark Souls 3. Number 33, Osiris, the Consumed King from Dark Souls 3. Number 32, Dragon Slayer Armor from Dark Souls 3. Number 31, The Abyss Watchers from Dark Souls 3. Number 30, The Bell Gargoyles from Dark Souls 1. Number 29, Aldrich, Devourer of the Gods from Dark Souls 3. Number 28, Alana, Squalid Queen from Dark Souls 2. Number seven, uh, number 27, Nishandra from Dark Souls 2. Number 26, Gaping Dragon from Dark Souls 1. Number 25, The Pursuer from Dark Souls 2. Number 24, Champion Gundir from Dark Souls 3. Number 23, Royal Aegis from Dark Souls 2. Number 22, Guardian Dragon from Dark Souls 2. Number 21, The Iron Golem from Dark Souls 1. Number 20, Seath from Dark Souls 1. Number 19, Quellag from Dark Souls 1. Number 18, Looking Glass Knight from Dark Souls 2. Number 17, Pontiff Sullivan from Dark Souls 3. Number 16, Loriana Lothric from Dark Souls 3. Number 15, The Burnt Ivory King from Dark Souls 2. Number 14, Gwyn, Dark Souls 1. Number 13, Sif, Dark Souls 1. Number 12, Sir Elon from Dark Souls 2. Number 11, Gale from Dark Souls 3. Number 10, The Fume Knight from Dark Souls 2. Number 9, Four Kings from Dark Souls 1. Number 8, Manus, Father of the Abyss from Dark Souls 1. Number 7, Grave Lord Nito from Dark Souls 1. Number 6, Sister Freed from Dark Souls 3. Number 5, Sin from Dark Souls 2. Number 4, Soul of Cinder from Dark Souls 3. Number 3, Artorius, Dark Souls 1. Number 2, Nameless King from Dark Souls 3. And number 1, Ornstein and Smo from Dark Souls 1. So that's it. Thanks to everyone for listening to this. You can go to patreon.com slash newwinter to support the show. Let me know what your list is. Let me know if I was wrong, what I was right about. Um, you can email us, newwinterpodcast at gmail.com. Go to Instagram and Twitter at a new winter. And thanks very much. That's it. What a long one, but well worth it. And thank you, Dark Souls Trilogy, for being great. See you guys. Yeah.
And you're Winter Culture. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.